Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> There's a real responsibility and accountability in giving advice. Today, we're speaking with two subject matter experts on human behavior, Greg Williams and Brian Marin. Welcome. Hey, Rena, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Doing well. How about yourself? Good. I was just listening to your all's podcast. Oh, yeah. Which one were you listening to? Air Rage. Oh, yeah. That's when we give our this year is the year for a homicide on an airplane. It's it's coming to you. Problems so. don't get easier at 30,000 feet, so solve them on the ground. I was just listening to one of your podcasts again, the 40-year-old virgin, because I think I know who it is. <laughs> I was going to listen to that I one. Just saying. I, I chose the guy from Taco Bell. Taco Bell? Before. Yeah, I, yeah. I love him I, too. What a great guy. In, I knew he was an interesting character, so I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And it is. That's a great interview. He's a really interesting guy. Well, I dove back to some early episodes, and I loved the format. You petrified me when you said, hey, you better have a question for my dad. Yeah. And Brian even sent that, and I said, I don't know, but I know the last couple of minutes yeah. you voted <laughs> to her dad, you know? So, you had us going on that one. He's actually not live most of the time, so... Right. Right. You have a minute to pause and think about that. And yeah, the format's so that. great that lead in with your daughter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's it cute. sounds I like the, the old Bullwinkle and Rocky. And now Mr. Know-it-all. You know, thank <laughs> you. I, I love that from when I was a kid. So that's so clever. It's, it's really yeah. wonderful. Thank that's you great. so much. Yeah, it's funny. I was like, silly. I was like, you haven't done an intro in a while. I'm like, I need you for an intro. It's kind of like a yeah. family project here. Don't yeah. leave me hanging. There you go. There you oh, go. That's so funny. Our early work, you know, because we were fighting with 16 ounce gloves trying to find a market, you know, in our early work, it was like Marin looking at hello. Uh, this is Brian Marin. And we were so out of our league. And then it got steadily better. And, uh, you know, we only have three viewers, but they're sticking yeah. with us. So we like that. <laughs> Actually, I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing. It sounds very professional. Uh -huh. Talk oh, about the you. evolution for real. Yeah. I want to know. Okay, yeah. so I'll start with this. Marin has the patience of a saint. So we get dropped off in various locations at an airport on the cheapest flight. We are just in 146F. We land at like Odark 30 at some airport. And then we got to fight for a rental car because all the good ones are taken. And then we get out and Marin is invariably there earlier than I am. So he's driving through the crowd and I'm at baggage pickup and he's describing, you know, a white Subaru. And I, I'm going like, okay, I'm wearing the largest brown jacket in the world. And, and finally we link up and wherever we go is always an hour and a half or two hours, even though it's midnight to get to the Motel 6. So we have the best discussions as two great friends when we're in that rental car late at night after a tiring flight, chugging down a couple of waters. And so Brian was always left of Greg. And so the title came easy because Brian always drives and driver drives and he's got a little GPS thing that's up there. And here we were having these wonderful detailed conversations that you can only have at that time, trying to eat a peach and get hydrated after a crappy flight. And it's also kind of a play on words of left a bang, which was early program we developed for the, the Marine Corps and staying left of the bang before the incident kept you alive. 
So Marin had the eureka moment driving and Marin goes, okay, I've got this great idea and I want to throw it past you. What about left to Greg? And I'm such an egotist that if my name is in it, <laughs> I gave it to a yes, enthusiastic thumbs up. I'm like, okay, we're buying this. And that's where it started. It really, it really yeah. started. There. And Brian's the creative talent, uh, talent director, the, the it, format king. It took a while. So the, the left of Greg thing was easy because it's a literal term and it's a metaphorical one. So I loved it. And then it came up with that. And then it was these discussions. But then like Greg said, that's kind of when we talk through stuff or challenge each other on stuff. And so it's a different type than when we're in class or training or talking to someone and anything goes in those conversations they go all over the place, but then we can link it back to something. Yep. So I wanted to capture that, but then, you know, first getting started when I didn't know what I was doing with this stuff, Greg is used to, you know, he thinks, okay, we're in front of an audience. There's a format I need to teach, you know, and, and I'm like, like, no, it's about a conversation. We're supposed to have a conversation. So it took a while for us to find that groove to right. figure out the dynamic, even though we had it in person, it's just hard to replicate that. And then we were doing it over zoom. Finally, once we kind of caught that, like we just dropped in and had a conversation, then it got good. And then there again, then you have these ebbs and flows of how it works. And then we just kind of create this format where it's like, okay, here's what the topic's going to be. Depending on what it is, we'll say, all right, here's my notes on it. Here's my notes on it. Or we'll get on like 10 minutes prior and go, Hey, I want to hit this, this, and this. Okay. I want to hit this. And then I never tell Greg everything I'm going to bring up. And he never tells me everything he's going to bring up. And then we just, we go for it. And then we've had it before where we're like, you know what, that didn't, that one fell flat because it's too serious of an issue or too tough where we went like, no, I don't want it to be because I'm overly cautious just because I don't ever want our message to get clouded or get taken incorrectly. I want our intent to be clear and to be pure. And I'm so, a village idiot. Yeah. And so, 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 you know, we play <laughs> off each other too. You know, Brian refined most of his uh, on-air talent by interviews on Grinder and Tinder and you know other <laughs> social media sites. While I just learned by doing, but he's really been the creative force. I tell you what, we're lucky enough to have people call us and go, "Hey, I'm an interesting person. Let's talk," and yeah. and that's really cool. Yeah, that's and, cool and part. We, we try to tackle issues that are going to help people at school or in their home life or, and, and you know, you're, you're that too. You talk about an eclectic blend of people. Yeah. The, the one thing that Brian and I talked about, and that's why I wanted Brian on as well, because Brian's like my safety net and my legal uh, advisor. He can tell me, no, that that's too far. Shut up, rein it in. What I like is that your format is eclectic enough that you don't have a format. Yeah. It's a beginning, middle and an end, but you'll talk to anybody. And I really respect that. I yeah. admire that. I think it's cool. And I love that you're do. brave enough to come on because some people are like, whoa, to some of those subject matters that I want to talk about. No, we actually sometimes uh, do better on other people's podcasts because I it's a so. different dynamic. So when Mim and I are having a conversation, there's certain things we're trying to bring up and you know, we're trying to stay in this, our, our lane of stuff where we have other people asking us questions or going back and forth, especially for me, because I'm not worried about recording or editing going on oh, crap. I gotta, I gotta edit out that noise or I gotta try and do this or how long have we been talking or do I want to make sure like, so I, I, it's easier for, for us sometimes just to have a free flow conversation and, and those ones actually, I always like those better, but that's just me because you know, I, I can't stand listening to our own podcast. No, no, after and, a while. <laughs> like, uh, my, like... my, I have to stay in my lane. I have to only answer in science, sociological, psychological, physiological. I have to only answer with human behavior. I can't take an emotional stance. I can't render an opinion unless it's an opinion as a subject matter expert. And I'll tell you what, that's draining because yeah. sometimes you want to call horse crap. Sometimes you want to say this is BS and you, you have to be very careful because your body of work went, you know, in our realm, 
Yeah, you got sometimes legal people that are listening to it or first responders or, or law enforcement. So you don't want to give bad advice. And we've heard plenty of fast and loose podcasts where they give really horrible advice. Yeah. And we, or we they, always, they, Brian and I say, play time fast and loose with that. facts or they stretch yep. stuff. Yep. And we're like, you can't, we feel a responsibility with it, right? Yep. You know, we're responsible for this. So yes, we have a, an audience. It's not massive, but we have an audience. So I have a responsibility to make sure what I'm saying is correct and make sure I'm giving right. it, you know, because for our, it's our work too. So there's a lot in the balance there. Well, it's like you, I, I, you know, you can't have a bad day. You can't come into the podcast and have a bad day. You can't be off your mark. Because, you know, you, you only get one shot sometimes at the people you talk to. And credibility takes a long time to get. You don't want to give it away because you want to increase your viewership. It's not easy. I don't know how you do it. Do you want to talk about Cuomo? Yeah, we, yeah actually, we do, actually. We do. Here's the thing. Brian and I don't always agree. And sometimes we're very vociferous about our disagreement. And Brian brought up a, a great point, how it took Cuomo a week sitting in his mansion, surrounded by his personnel. And everybody was sitting right in front of him. And going, look, you're going to live through this. It's not Lie. about you. It's about Lie. them. Do that. It's all horse crap. Because who do you surround yourself with? You surround yourself with your support system. Okay. Weinstein did it. Geraldo did it before he sent photos of his misshapen body. Wiener did the same thing. What you do is you sit there and you go, is this too far? Did I go too far? Is this okay? What, what's my guy that's trying to get back into politics, Brian? The the one that I always mispronounce his name, Bologovic. So Sorry. he's like, should I get back into politics? Look, Como was so deep into what he did and his modus operandi was so transparent to everybody around him that he lost sight that he was doing the wrong thing. And people do that, the Ponzi scheme folks and, and people that are like Jared from Subway, he did it too. He's like, okay, so like, I'm not a vicious sexual predator and I pay the kids good for the sex that I have with them and the photos I take. So I'm not a bad guy, am I? Because look at all the money I donate. When you can't see the truth anymore, yeah. when you're out there so far, you need the voice of reason to come in, take a knee in front of you and go, you're out of line. You got to back up. And Como had nobody in his support system that was willing to do that. Brian. And, and that I, stuff, that stuff happens over time and it slowly goes, you know, cause he's doing the, Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm Italian. This is what we do. Okay. Yeah. In, in the right context, when you meet someone and it's, Hey buddy, I do that. Greg, how's it going, man? And we hug and stuff. That's different. Yeah. At, at a restaurant at 1am and it's dark and you're alone. Like, okay, these are just very, very, very different. So they come up with these excuses, but but what, kind of what Greg's talking about is, is Cuomo, when this stuff came out, he legitimately did not think he did anything wrong. Precisely. Like it, 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 because hey, I, think he I think he still does I think he still has, and, you know, he's aspirational about, hey, we'll give it a week and we'll yeah, see what you, happens. You get a little bit off and you right. do something just mildly inappropriate and you're in a position of power and you get away with it. And you have people that enable you, you're off kilter. So it starts just a little bit, you know, but... Now, as that goes longer and longer and longer, you're still taking your track and way out of line here. And once that happens and you have these people around you that they just take care of it or it's not a big deal or, hey, don't worry about it. That line that becomes inappropriate for him keeps gradually changing. It gets farther and farther. So he really didn't think that he was doing anything wrong. His I, I rebuttal of these photos of all this stuff, he's just yep. like, it's like, dude, you don't get it. You, you really are so close to this that you really don't see it. And, and that's why you get the reaction like that, where he's holed up in the mansion for two weeks going, I don't get that. What are these people saying? I did all this for them. You know, there's a little bit of narcissism in that and in, in any of these politicians that of course they're in power for so long and they're untouchable. I grew up in Chicago. 
you're in Chicago and Illinois, what do we have a long history of sending governors to prison, the most yep. rigged yep. political system in the world. It's called Chicago politics for a reason that happens. And what do you get? What happened to Alderman Ed Burke? He was in charge for 40 years or something. And they're finding like guns in his place. He's doing all this illegal stuff and taking money. And it's like, he didn't start out that way. He just did a little bit to help his people. 35 years later, you know what that turns into? Federal penitentiary time. You know what I'm saying? So that's how these things occur. You see it all the time in positions of power like that. With Como, somebody will come up and somebody that you trust and respect and admire, or somebody from Hollywood that we don't know how people would admire him, but they're still important and they can get to the air when we can't. And somebody will say, yeah, but he's like that with everyone. Okay, that's not an excuse. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Sexual harassment, sexual abuse or touching or any of those things. He did it in the light of day in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, a bunch of people that he was paying that looked the other way that said, I guess it's not as bad as it could have been. It's not as bad as working for Cosby. You get what I'm trying to say or whatever. When we do that, what we do is we start saying that there's certain circumstances that this behavior can be tolerated. I remember when Kavanaugh was getting sworn in, he was one of the people that's saying, hey, we have to listen and we have to have a zero tolerance. How many zeros are in that tolerance? You know, I mean, where do we draw the line? If it's you, first thing, you did something wrong and your viewers and listeners, self-report. Come in and say, I did it. I didn't mean to do it. I had no nefarious intent. But now that I know it's wrong, I apologize. Help me fix it. That's what you do. You don't sit in your mansion and have a spin team work to say, well, let's write a front, read it. Didn't it feel like a manifesto to you? Yeah. And what do we talk about with a manifesto? You know, who wrote manifestos? Uh, Kaczynski? We don't want to see a manifesto. We want to see you in a clear light of day be penitent. We want to see you come up and claim what you did. And that's why Blago or whatever, that's why him trying to get back into politics is like that late night talk show host that died recently, Larry King. He was on all the great talk shows. And then for 40 years, he steadily declined, but he had fancy looking suits and everything was great. And then finally, he was hawking, you know, sea krill medicine for your blood pressure or whatever, right? The idea is he couldn't let go. Well, you've yeah. got a dynasty with Como and it's hard to let go, but you got to go in, you got to open up your jugular to the people and say, mea culpa, I was responsible for this behavior. That's the only way. That's the only way to fix what's broken. What I want to know is how come certain people get away with it and yep. why is it taking two weeks to try yep. the case? So, so That's he, what I want to know. He, here's, That's a great here's, question. Your thing with why people get away with it. In all of these cases, whether it's some type of assault case, this could be with Jerry Sandusky, yeah. Jared from Subway, all of these things. There's something called homophily, right? We, we form groups, you know, you've heard birds of a feather flock together, right? We, we form relationships with people who are like-minded, whether that's friendships, whether that's marriage, all that stuff, right? That that's sociologically, that's how humans create little cliques, tribes, set, gang, whatever you want to call it. We're all part of one or many, usually in different contexts, right? So we look for that. Well, people like that, predators like that, or people who have some nefarious intent, they do the same thing, but they're looking for people that will allow them to act that way. And that's why, you know, the saying comes from what you walk past is what you're willing to accept. So when you see a friend do something that you don't like, it's much harder to say, hey, what the heck are you doing when it's someone you don't like when they, you know, when it's someone you already didn't like or someone you don't know, and they do something wrong. It's really easy to be like, oh, this guy's a terrible person. When it's your friend, when it's your coworker, when it's someone, yeah, relationship's a little different. You're more likely to kind of look the other way or justify their behavior. But whether you're stealing, you know, a pack of gum from the convenience store or you're robbing the bank, it's theft. 
it's wrong, but it's not to the same degree, right? Well, he just did this. So it's not usually that one person. They have people that enable that behavior. And those people are usually profiting in some way off of this relationship, whether it was Jeffrey Epstein, the woman he had working for for him, same thing. She was either profiting financially. Look, I'm living this great life. I got a great job. I got a family. I got mouths to feed. I got to put food on the table for for my kids. I'm not going to upset this situation because then I'm going to lose out. It's never just one person. One person can't get away with doing that for all long without the help of others. Now, whether someone knew they were helping or not is a little bit different. And sociologically, we've learned over time, like for example, get a mental image of a vampire in a Nosferatu movie. And you see a person that only comes out at night and they're in a dank castle with rats and cobwebs and all this other stuff. So therefore you equate any behavior that that person would do with a nefarious, ill-lit motel on the side of the highway or a gosh damn rest stop on the way to somewhere. And all of a sudden we think, oh, somebody has to be able to see that. That's not what it is at all. When when predators work, predators need access. And sometimes that's money or that's power. Listen, how can this guy be a bad guy and do these things? These people are all adults. Why wouldn't somebody have said something earlier? And listen, I see this guy throwing these wonderful benefits for kids and for this and for that. That's the cover. You, you understand that's urban masking and social camouflage. I can operate in plain sight and hide right in front of you. And we've had presidents to do it. We've had heads yep. of state that have done it. Yeah. We've had parents that have done it for the the youth group. And then when people come out, they go, oh, you know, maybe I did know something. Maybe I did see something. No, because that would expose us as vulnerable and we never want to be vulnerable. So what do we say? We turn a blind eye sometimes to it. We have a bias against getting involved in certain capers. And when we say, hey, they should have known better, then that's even harder for us to say something. And and these are crimes. Okay. But, but the idea is that because there doesn't seem to be a victim in the crime, we're less inclined to look at it as criminal behavior. Sometimes a person's a domestic violence person. Sometimes they're a drunk driver. Some, you, you know what I'm saying? And you, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. I think if Como would have come earlier and said, mea culpa, I don't think the damage would have been as hard as it is right now. What are your demons? God, mind eating. So I've got a lot of stress. So I used to take all my stress out on beating people up on the street. I tell you, anything was a sign. Early on in cop work, I was not a good copper. You could find me by seeing the trail of the dead and injured behind me. And if somebody got out of line, I was in the racket where it was kill or be killed. It was fighting. I finally had to take a deep introspective look and go, wait a minute, everybody can't be fighting me. This is not what I signed on for. There's got to be a better way. I've got to be able to outthink these people rather than outfight them. So then that started the Marlboro Light menthol phase of my life where I was smoking them. I would just cut the end off of a, a whole carton and smoke them like a gosh damn harmonica, you know, light them with like the crack torch. Then I, I said, okay, well, that's killing me. So then I said, okay, what I'm going to do is double my weight by the millennium. So I've had a whole bunch of demons. I haven't started smoking crack yet. That's probably down the line somewhere. I'm like uh, Uncle Buck. I'm going to get off of cigars by going to a pipe, then going to chewing tobacco, then going to cigarettes. And then in 10 years, I'm going to quit them all together. But I, I've got a lot of demons. I never beat my wife, never beat my kids. I only drink when I'm with Marin, which is a horrible, uh, thing to say. But, you know, I've got problems too, but I face them. I'm a broken human, and I think that's why I can relate to other humans. Marin has no faults, however. You're about How to about do that. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Show your, Brian? Show your wings, poor, Brian. Turn just, sideways. Just, just poor, 
poor coping skills altogether. You do enough and have enough experiences in life, especially in the military, especially in very kinetic times and seeing and doing a lot of things and living on the edge and constantly deploying to different places. And then, and then you just sit there living in fear going, Jesus, what if someone does to me what I've done to other people? Fuck, that's terrifying. And then you're walking around your life going like, is that the guy going to do it? Is that the guy that's going to do it? Like what's happening here? So, so for me, it's just poor coping skills and, and a lack of emotional maturity at times. And you know, working on, on empathy, I've done really well. I'm amazing with my wife and daughter now because, because my wife, he mimics me. a human, he mimics he, a human but, being, but he's that, got some of the traits of a human, but, but that's all I have time for. So when other people are like, geez, you're very direct and, and cold and stuff, I was like, look, man, I only have so much empathy and it all goes to my family. I'm sorry. Like, I can't butter you up here. I can't make this sound nice. I do that for my wife and little one at home because they deserve that. You know, I grew up in Chicago, Irish Catholic neighborhood. So I was indoctrinated with Catholic guilt that everything you do is wrong and you're constantly, you know, sinning or something you're doing is making someone upset. So I have always had that inside me too. So you always beat yourself up. You know, my whole thing is no one can kick my ass like I can. There's not another person in the world that's going to be harder on me than me. That's tough to deal with, you know? we're all broken human beings and we just get it. So, and meaning I don't use that term in a negative manner. All of us are every human being in the face of the earth has faults. You do stupid things. You have crazy thoughts. You say things you don't mean, you know, you do all that. So when, when it's like, when you see this stuff in the news of people just getting teared down, you're just like, God, I feel awful for that. I mean, Jesus, like their life is under a microscope. Yours isn't, you know, it, it makes you a better hostage negotiator. It makes you better at understanding people and their demons for suicide. You know, we both devoted and our team has to spending the last third of our life trying to fix us by opening and telling everybody everything and trying to get them on the right track of, of being able to see it. Because the one thing is when you've had those questions and when you've seen the light and seen how bad things can be, you have a better understanding of how to take a step back and look at baselines and say, this is anomalous behavior and this is what's got to be fixed. It would be hard for me to talk about abuse if I hadn't suffered abuse. You get what I'm trying to say and seen it firsthand. It gives us an edge. You know, sadly, we're both subject matter experts in broken humans. But in our line of work, it ends up being perfectly suiting us for the work. That we do. Yeah, makes us, I would say, uniquely qualified, as you said. Yeah, that's right? a perfect way of saying it. <laughs> Can you talk about any of the abuse that you've seen? When you work as a copper, you're constantly going in behind the velvet rope to people at their worst and seeing their house or their car or their kids or their dog at its worst. And sometimes the damage that other people can do to their loved ones is worse than anything that you've ever seen in a Stephen King novel or on a film. In the military, sometimes you're assigned to a place where yeah. there's so much yeah. death and minutes earlier, you were in a firefight. And now somebody tells you that the the person that you had deployed with is dead because of an IED and you don't even get to see that because now you have to move on to something else. Yeah. That takes its toll. I applaud people that, that come in and can talk about it without getting choked up or, you know, that write some kind of stunning novel about it or, or yeah. turn it into a movie. But, you know, you see some of that and you get full. Our goal is to help people empty some of that cup because if you go in with your cup full all the time, sooner or later, you're going to degrade. You're going to open up and, and not be able to put all that stuff back together again. It's just like this moral argument you're having internally, like, 
you are a terrible person and I have to work with you. Like that stuff just weighs on you. You know, I mean, there's been examples where guys couldn't take it and they're now in jail because they killed someone. They just, they executed a whatever Afghan commander because he was doing stuff to young boys that that person couldn't tolerate and they killed him. I don't blame that person. He hit his threshold and said, I can't stand this anymore. I can't do this. So you get into these gray areas that are very, very difficult to operate in. And if you don't have that strong sense of purpose and an intestinal fortitude and a moral compass, you could get lost in there. And people do all the time. And they come out the other end like, whoa, how the hell did I end up there? You know, well, I didn't even know how I made it there. And so it's tough. I try never to judge people, you know, and just look at what they did and their actions and their behavior for what it is. And that's it. One of the things that Brian and I work hard on is suicide prevention because veterans are committing suicide at a high rate. And many times there's a stigma associated with just talking about that. So yeah. it's hard for us. It's kind of a crappy question to ask anybody on a podcast, but it's wonderful. And we welcome that because it's like, listen, those are hard things to deal with. There was a long time after a specific incident that I was involved with that every single time that I was driving in a car, I was convinced that the the person was still behind me. And you talk about getting out of a car. I don't need to to watch Bigfoot or a UFO or get scared at a horror movie. All I got to do is go into my own brain. And those are no fun places to be. So we try to create dialogue because sometimes talking it out is better than acting it out. What do you think of pulling out of Afghanistan? Wow. The war in Afghanistan was a complete and total disaster for a number of reasons. There was never a strategic objective. It's a definition of what's called mission creep. The war in Afghanistan was technically over January of 2002. I'll give you till 2011 or 10 when we had to kill bin Laden. That had to happen. So we used that. But there's no national strategy. There was no plan there. And, and everyone just kept going and going and going. And then you had mission creep after mission creep. And it was just one after thing. That Band-Aid had to get ripped off. And what everyone did before that, Obama just kicked the can down the road, said, I'm not even going to make a decision. I'm going to do nothing, which which is a strategy, not a good one. Trump, same thing. He, I think he tried to. He walked into those generals and said, what the hell are we doing in Afghanistan? And then got talked back from that. And it's another just failure of epic proportions of, of blood and treasure on our hands. And, you know, my friends are dead and we struggled for all this. And what happened? I mean, what really, what did we really get out of it? So it's really, really tough. And people have different opinions. And I respect everyone who thinks, hey, no, we need to continue the fight or no, we need to get out. Dude, I get it. Like I, everyone has that, that, you know, you want to see something to the end. And it just, we didn't get that. Like who won here? China won, Russia won, they, Iran won. They all got more influence and power out of this stuff than, than any of us. And, and we paid that bill. The American people paid for it in their tax money. And, and those of us who served and went there paid for it in blood, sweat, tears. And our friends paid the ultimate sacrifice when they sacrificed their lives. Now, their sacrifice wasn't for nothing. They did something great. They put their mark on the world and you get to do something that people are going to read about in history books. But how are we honoring them for that? What do they get? What do their families get to do now? I mean, it's it's tough. It's really emotional. So that's my feeling on it in general. I just, you know, it should have happened earlier. Or if not pull out, the strategy to, to actually make something happen should have been enacted a long time ago and it never was it just never was the afghan people are loving creative wonderful people they're yep. just like your neighbors yep there's agricultural people there's people that like to bowl there's people that like to dance and sing and then the taliban comes into the zoo and cuts the noses off of the 
lions and the bears because they don't have a Taliban beard and they laugh. I was never in Afghanistan in a sports arena that wasn't used for homicide. Yeah. I'd never seen a pull-up bar that wasn't used to hang or behead somebody. Yet the Afghan people endured and they were loving and brave and smart. You're not dealing with the average Afghan. You're dealing with people that are coming in looking for a fight and they're going to find the war, whether it's in Syria or in Yemen, and they're going to continue to fight. So what I feel sorry for is those wonderful people that feel that we betrayed them by leaving. Anybody stateside that doesn't understand why we're leaving and left the blood of their friends and their dog tags somewhere in a field in Afghanistan. The human capital, when you, when you get right down to it, they paid as well with their lives. Yeah. Interpreters, our translators, the people of the villages, the little kids, the med caps that we did, and the shiny, happy faces of the children. And it's going to be some dark clouds for a long time before somebody fixes that. Have you had disgruntled veterans reach out to you guys? Oh, yeah. Not just about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Sometimes we're doing a thing here in Gunnison, Colorado in September for veterans. We're very involved with different veterans organizations. And one of the things we're trying to do is get veterans to sign up for benefits that they're owed that they don't feel that they should go and get. They don't feel that they should get the medical benefits or sign up for free programs because somebody's hurt worse than I am and I don't need it. And we're a country that is eager to send our youngest and our brightest to war, but not always to take care of them when they come yeah. back. So I've never talked to a veteran that said, I was afraid or I didn't want to go or I disagreed with this. I think that everybody that I talked to said, hey, we came back and it was dead silence on the net. Or we came back and people looked at us like we had done some. And that starts with Vietnam. And Brian, I told you, we just had that recent caper with a Vietnam vet that just unloaded on me. I said, thanks for your service. And he just went off. And yeah, thank me for my service. This is what happened. So what happens is you feel disenfranchised because yeah. you left everything on the battle space. And then you came back and there's some people that have never given that were willing to make fun of you or belittle you or not understand you or not just thank you, not just, you know, one of the things that gets to me, and, and I, I've never shared this with anybody, but Brian and Shelly, I'll say thanks for your service to anybody that was a serviceman. And I've never had somebody turn around and go, have you served? And, and I have, and I don't get the thanks for my service because I don't wear the trappings. I, I don't go out of the house with all the stuff, but it's still okay to thank veterans. When did that become not a thing? Thanks for your service. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I appreciate that. Too little, too late, damn it. <laughs> so, no, but you get what I'm trying to say. You know how those words and Brian has a different view on that too, because yeah. there's some people that go, Oh, you don't know what I went through and stuff. Listen, just like a cop. Okay. I was a cop for 27 years in the hardest streets in America. And I still have to read this crap that says, well, thank you police officer, because they're the only one that did this and that. You know what? I volunteered to be a cop. I went for training to be a cop and I knew what I was getting into. So yeah. you don't have to do anything. But if you thank me for my service, I appreciate it. Right. So it's the same thing as being a veteran. We didn't draft anybody. Everybody that went, went knowingly and willingly. So you should thank them. You should thank them for their service. Cause I'll tell you what, you don't understand what it's like living in a place that ain't free until you've deployed. And when you see it there firsthand, it's yeah. anybody that criticizes America has no idea what they're talking yeah. about. They haven't traveled. That's part of what guys and girls get upset about as they come back. They're like, do you know how good we have it here? And, and there's right. always, always room for improvement. I'm not going to say 
no one here is perfect, but we're orders of magnitude ahead of other countries, even ones that would seem similar in, in terms of what we're allowed to say and do and, and everything in this country. And you really get a taste for that when you see how bad it can get. You really, really do respect and appreciate it. So when you come back and everyone wants to say, oh, well, you know, we got to tear the system down and this is be and the whole thing is rigged and everything. It's like, whoa, whoa I've seen rigged stuff before. I know exactly yeah. what it looks like. And again, this is we, there's always room for improvement. We, we just a poor person here in the United States. That's very different than a poor person in some of the places we've been to. As our, our CEO, Shelly, always says, celebrate the small wins and, and exactly. take into consideration, put things into perspective on, OK, yeah, we need to improve here. But but where are we really at? Can, what are we comparing ourselves to? Because if we're comparing to ourselves to ourselves like two years ago, well, well, OK. But I love the fact that we can have these open discourse and dissent and people yelling and screaming in the streets. I love that stuff because I'm like, I hate that you're tearing down my city that I love so much. But I also know what it's like when you can't do that. So that's always that balance between freedom and liberty and security and safety yeah. and what we're doing. There's just that's constantly in flux. And that's the beauty of where we're at. Rena, you're a female and a Jew and you're doing a podcast. How would you be faring right now if you were in China? Or Afghanistan. You get what I'm trying to say? Or Afghanistan now. So the idea that each one of those things that you take pride in that, that delineate you perhaps from somebody else in our country, you think of that as a strength and your father is so proud of you and your daughter is so proud of you and you have all of these great things, but you would have to watch where you lived. You would have to have an assumed name and dress differently in other places. So we've got a really good and we've got to stop knocking ourselves down. We've got to stop giving ribbons for 15th place. We've got to get it back to where it's okay to say, you know, we love our country and that we want to stand for a national anthem. We, we've got to get back to those things. And I know those, those seem like little things, but it's the little things that go mm -hmm. out of a marriage that make it unlivable. There's the little things that go out of your quality of life that make you commit suicide. And if sometimes yeah. we just take a minute and look, can fix some of the things that we can, the things that are in our span of control will improve our life. So looking other places and, and saying, oh, they have it so much better. Now take a look <laughs> around you and do something to listen. We support wherever we go when we're training because we're open to anybody that wants us. And, and you know what? If you got a lot of money, we're going to charge you a lot. And if you don't have any money, we're going to still show up and you know we'll do it for free this time. The idea is if we all do that and we start in our community, the world is going to take on this this better place, and somebody's going to say, "Oh, that that's a you know rosy you know rose colored glass or whatever they call it." No, it's not. You can improve your life just by thinking and acting better and being more resilient and sharing those stories with your family. I'd like to ask your dad a question. I bet your dad grew up talking about issues around the kitchen table. Okay, when do we do that anymore? Is there an app for that? And and we stopped doing that. We've stopped talking to our family and our mom. And, and, you know, I'm an orphan, so I don't have a mom or a dad anymore. But He's I would love to sit down and talk to your He's dad. I, I am. They're dead. Sit so. down and have a coffee and talk about it. How did you feel about that? That used to be how we learned about things. News is too fast now. The flash to bang isn't there. And it's so rapid that, that what happens is we're asked, okay, somebody stick a phone in our face and ask us, what do you think? Well, wait a minute. I need to germinate. I need to cogitate. I need to think about those things. And that's what we don't do anymore. And, and things are a lot better than we think. And you know what? COVID, Delta, Lambda, all that stuff, 
Sooner or later, it's going to be benign again for a while, and it'll come back again. If we always focus on the bad news, we're going to have a crappy day every day. And sooner or later, that's going to manifest itself. And you coming out like the two family annihilators in Pennsylvania in, in two or three weeks, where the father of the family killed all the kids and everybody and then killed themselves. How does that happen in a society? That happens when you look around and lose empathy. You know, that stress fracture, nobody fills in. And nobody walks up and catches you doing something right and says, I value you and I love you and, and we can be better if we hold hands and get through this. That's still okay to do. Can you think of a time that you did that? I do it every day. I know that sounds stupid, but I am the big dancing bear. I am the village idiot. I will go into a room and change everybody's opinion in that room in an hour by being self-deprecating and making fun of myself and, and being the dumb tub that everybody can laugh at for a minute. And then I'll sit down and I'll teach them something. My daughter just got her PhD on Monday. Okay. My son is a respected member of the community and, and he works harder than anybody I know. He can't have a business card because he does so many things. He has to have a deck of them, right? I'm so proud of my kids. But I, I still sit there and go, yeah, but where did they learn that? That was from me. You know, so I, I still have that dichotomous relationship and all that guilt going. So I'll share that and I'll get somebody laughing by telling them the stupid thing that I did today. And, and I take hundreds of photos every day of me making mistakes in my environment. And I share it when we go to teach or when we yeah, do a seminar that, or when we speak. That, that's... You, know, you got to do that. You got to say I'm broken, too. That, that's even some of our programs. It's not about look at all the stuff we've done. It's these are the all the mistakes we made. Here's our scars. So right. let's learn from that. Let's learn from this. They take don't learn the hard way like we had to. And this is how we can fix it. So that's built into everything you do. I mean, just with everyone you interact, I always tell people you just start if you can just your family and friends. That's it. If you can have a positive influence on that, well, man, 10 people, and then they do that to 10 people, doesn't take too many uh, factors there to get to reach a few million. So it's, right. it's really the, those small things go a long way. Like Greg said, we all look at other people to, especially elected officials, like, oh, we need to fix this or you need to do something about it. Man, like, come on. Like, what, what, what are they going to do? This is, it's a different world now. It doesn't take that. We can all do it on ourselves. You can tweet something out. You're a total nobody. And it goes viral and you change the way everyone looks at something instantaneously. That's incredible. The amount of power and influence an individual person has in the world, it's unheard of. So, so what are you going to do with that? And sometimes it is that easy. So you wield the most amazing Harry Potter's wand. Wingardium Leviosa, your way into hate and death and fear all the time and make fun of people. Or you can put somebody up and you can say, listen, that's great. I love that. I sent Brian and, and our friend Sean a picture of a rose that's blooming in our backyard today. We were having a stressful day. We had a lot of business calls. And that, to me, was my emotional release. I didn't even say a word. I would tell you that there's probably on the block that you live a bunch of empty Amazon boxes because a bunch of people are getting stuff delivered. Take one of them and fill it with stuff that you don't need anymore and give it to the local school or give it to the local shelter or give it to somebody. Take a smaller box and put your damn phone in it because I don't do the social media. And for one day, put it in your damn closet. You know how hard it is to separate yourself from the world and put your phone away? And even your apps, take one of the apps that you do all the time and put it in a drawer for an hour and look at your children or your significant other and talk to them. Do you know the lost art of communication? We've gone into restaurants before where Brian and I will grab the head of the person that the waitress or waiter and say, I'm over here. Hi, how are you? What's your story? And they don't know how to act because everything that they do is punching in a button or doing it on a phone. We have to slow that down. Instant communication and apps aren't making us any smarter. And in fact, 
they're leading to the decline of the Western civilization because we used to be a country that loved and talked and cherished. Have you had any teachable moments recently? You mentioned hundreds of pictures. I'll give you an example. I had to go to the bathroom and I was in line to get a prescription for Shelly's parents. And so our local city market is beleaguered because the Texans are all up here because it's too hot in Texas and they don't have any social grace for a city of 6,000. And so they come in and they buy everything and they move around and they feel entitled. And I love Texas, nothing wrong with Texans, but I bet they would think, Hey, look at the Rube if I went down to Dallas. Right. And so I'm waiting in line and there's a long line and it's a lunch hour line. So you got to try to get through there. There's only two people working and I got a bladder and a prostate that are fighting the civil war in my gut. So I have to go to the bathroom. So I look at the guy next to me and I said, hey, do you mind? Uh, I'd like to get into the bathroom. And he was like, yeah. So when I came back out, he made me get behind him. Now, this to me is unacceptable. So I had to explain to him the matter of physics about being in line. And that got us on talking because I like to talk. You may have noticed that. And what happened is his daughter-in-law was up at a place called Arrowhead and she had a kidney stone. And when she tried to pass it, they thought it was appendicitis. And this guy had been up all night and all these horrible things had befallen him. And he's the grandfather. And this is the daughter-in-law. And this is the second year in a row that they've taken to this wonderful vacation in Colorado that they spent in the emergency room. And now Howie's 50 clothes and he had to take her to the hospital in Montrose, which is an hour and a half away. By the end of the conversation, I was in tears and I had moved them all the way up to the front of the line past everybody that was listening to our story and dropped them off in front and everybody clapped and allowed this guy to go first. Now, I felt like a bad guy because my first instinct was to shove him with my belly and push him into the, you know, the underarm uh, deodorants uh, because I was pissed that he wouldn't let me in front. But I ended up turning around and doing a good thing. And I think sometimes if we shut up and listen a little more than we talk, we'll find out that the people around us have amazing stories and we can make their lives a little bit better too. I, I bet he felt better when he left that he got out of there more quickly and was able to, to be with his daughter-in-law. That's really beautiful. I think it's so funny that we haven't even like defined situational awareness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know why? Because at the end of the day, your resume means shit. Can we say that right up front? I don't know if we can say that, but the idea is either you're a good person or you're a bad person. There is no gray area. And either you set out every day to make a difference in the world and make people better and, and improve their situation, or you don't. And if you're constantly looking down and in and worrying about your own, you might make it to the finish line, but what kind of race have you run? So I'd rather go the opposite way. We don't care about a person's religion. We don't care about the color of a person's skin. We don't give a damn if the person's got a lot of money or no money. We treat everybody the same. And what we do is work to make them smarter, faster, and harder to kill by improving their awareness around them. But more than that, by teaching them the signs, what does a fracture look like in another human? What does it look like when that human's having a bad day? And now you're walking around and you're spilling your full cup on them and adding to their misery. And we show people how to back off of that, whether they're firemen or cops or HR or a school teacher. We show them how to do that. And it's not as and, hard as you would and think. We teach everything from, you know, the high speed tier one operator dudes to, you know, law enforcement to this. And there's different levels of what people need to know about human behavior, given 
given their job and what their role is. But most people don't need ever need to get to that level. What we can do is still give them a better perspective to they go, oh, I see. You know, some things aren't always what they seem. I bring a lot to the table and sometimes I jam a square peg into a round hole thinking something. We've, we've just been talking about examples of that this entire time of like, man, I really wanted to throw this guy through the window. And yeah, you know what? Maybe I'm the problem. Or is my, my girl, perfect example, my girl Taylor Swift. So people know, some people know this about me. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. This is a hill I'm willing to die on. So don't even argue with me. She's an incredible songwriter and singer. That you've always been a huge fan of her. But here's the thing I'll give you because we teach what we call human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. Here's Taylor Swift's pattern of behavior gets in a high profile relationship. There's a big breakup, writes a song about it, makes a ton of money, does a tour, everything. Gets in a high profile relationship. There's a breakup, writes a song about it, makes a lot of money. Uh, gets in some other argument with some other female singer or something, writes a song about it, makes a ton of money. Okay. So you see the pattern of behavior here. Point is, Taylor Swift probably never going to write a song called maybe I'm the problem, right? So, so the idea is I have to be able to sit there and go, you know what, maybe I'm the one causing this situation or maybe I'm the one drawing an unreasonable conclusion. So having that just kind of perspective and mindset, because you know, people always say, oh, you got to walk a mile in someone's shoes. You got to take their perspective. Well, we train people how to do that. That's a skill you have to learn. It's very, very difficult. All human beings are incredibly egocentric. That's how we survive. It comes down to our survival. We stick to the very basics of what, how your brain Absolutely. is wired and how it's survived. Like, I don't care about your ideology or some new theory that someone came up with that's going to be junk or, or forgotten about in five or 10 years because everyone's going to realize it's horrible. Stick to what, what based on how we're wired. And it's one, I care about myself first and my survival, then my immediate family and, and the survival of the species as a whole. We have that wired in us for survival, not just for, for me, but for everyone. But it's me first. So guess what comes first in all these situations is it's me. If you can just learn to manage that and realize that that alone sometimes gets you to kind of that increases your situational awareness. You're now more present in the moment saying, well, let me hear this out a little bit. Let me not jump to an unreasonable conclusion. Let me have a little bit of empathy. Let me take a breath right here so I can actually think better. And I'm not in this survival mode where my brain thinks I have to, you know, kill this person exactly. because they got my food order wrong. You know what I'm saying? At a very basic level, that is what we're talking about, that all these stories are that. This is what situation awareness is, is how do I leave my house and be more aware of my surroundings? Well, I got to be present in that moment. You can come to these conclusions that allows you to read a situation better and know now you can compare what's not normal, right? So now when you see something, you go, wait a minute, I've never seen this before. There needs to be an explanation for that. And there has to be an explanation for all behavior. People don't just spontaneously do things for no reason, unless there's drugs involved or some mental health reason or something like that. Normal in the clinical sense of normal, everyone repeats patterns and we do the same thing over and over again. Once you find the fastest way to work, you get up at the same exact time, you take the same exact route every single day because it works. You get a hit of dopamine and you repeat that behavior. This is years and years of ordering a number six supersize into a clown's mouth and choosing to repeat the behavior because your brain wants the lowest caloric expenditure that it can get in a day. And you go through the same thing. You read the same paper, you get it at the same shop, you grab your coffee at the same vendor, you get into the same Uber all the time. And that's what makes us susceptible. That's what makes us softer targets. By interacting with your environment, 
you build resilience by interacting with your environment. You test, you sample, you're the rock in the pond and the ripple goes out and you can read when the ripple hits the lily pad and the frog jumps and the bird flies. If not, you're going through your life unaware. One, stop and smell the roses and take a picture and send it to your friends. Stop and smell the coffee and revel in that. Take a look around you because those differences, those nuanced differences that are in your environment can either make you the best poet or artist or happiest uh, husband or wife in the world, or they can be the thing that's lurking in your environment to kill you. And being hypervigilant is no fun and it's absolutely unnecessary. There's almost nobody that wants to victimize you. There's almost nobody that wants to kill you. And it's so rare that it makes the evening headline news. So if you're sitting there worried about it all the time, you're not living the life that God intended you to live. You're, you're, you're wasting calories and you're wasting days hiding in your bunker for a, for a civil war that's not coming. Even in Chicago? Even in <laughs> Chicago. Even in Chicago. Chicago's full of wonderful food wonderful art, wonderful yeah. music, and wonderful people. There's a few people that want to have their say and their way, and they're wrong because you don't get to choose both. Now, time will tell, just like the stock market, things will right themselves over time. The problem is if people don't become vocal in their own communities and say, this is enough and draw a line, it's going to continue for longer. And, and it is that easy. Somebody right now is going, you have no idea what we're facing. I was born and raised in Detroit. Kiss my ass. Okay. <laughs> I spent my life in 53 countries, not that we're welcoming happy places, that were dangerous places where people were being murdered on a massive scale. So the idea is it's going to get better. And Chicago is still a wonderful vacation destination. People still love going to Chicago. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about this outside? Most crime is tied to some sort of socioeconomic reason, meaning, you know, it's not about, you know, everyone wants to blame guns or blame, you know, some program or blame this or that. These are socioeconomic issues. You, you can't rise out of that. You can't break that cycle of, look, man, I got more empathy for a kid growing up in the South side of Chicago than, than anywhere else in the world. Because look, now they're recruiting kids to kill people at 10 years old. You know, you used to at least be, you know, 16, 17. It's not the case anymore. So you don't know any better. That person, those people out there doing that, that's all they know. They are in survival mode. They are born into the wild all right. And they are taught to survive from day one. So that is it. So how do you fix that? You have to have a strategy and it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to take a lot of time. If I had an unlimited budget, Rena, I would take all the folks that I know that are amazing at what they've done in other countries. And you'd go right to Chicago. We're going to actually make counterinsurgency work because we can do it here because we're not leaving here. This is our land. We, we need to do that. And you go one block at a time and you literally clean up the streets. You go clean it up and you bring in different businesses. You bring in investment to those communities and you start one block at a time and you win the hearts and minds. You keep going one person, one door at a time. And yeah, is it going to take time? Yep. But if you can, if you can do one block, that means you can do a neighborhood. If you can do a neighborhood, you know, you can do a ward. If you can do a ward, you can do the city. It, it, it grows exponentially like that. How do we get rid of all these bad people? Well, let's just go kill them all. It doesn't work. We had a hundred most wanted lists in Iraq. Okay. So you'd go down that H it's called a high value target list. Right. And you're just doing raids, killing, capturing people and just wiping off bad dudes off the planet. Here's the thing. The list never got below a hundred, meaning you go kill 10 people. Well, guess what? Well, we just 
populate the bottom of the list and then the next 10 people go and then the next bit. So, so it never ends. It's like, well, well, that strategy didn't really work. This is socioeconomic stuff that we have to take care of. You're never going to get rid of crime. So how do you want to manage it? How do you want to mitigate the ones that the, the crimes that affect us the most? How do we target in on what's actually doing the most damage to those communities? And then let's get rid of that. And we target on that. Yeah, the rest of the stuff. Yeah, it's, it's important. It's a crime. It's this, but, but what are we going to do? We, we think so much in the moment. This is what we think. Everyone's doing that at bang thinking. Hey, we got a problem. What are they doing in Chicago? What? I mean, the police are now so overworked, so much overtime, all these different units. There's no one's taking any time off. They're not allowed to. And that's costing the taxpayer even more money than it typically would. What are we getting out of it? Is it working? That's not a strategy. That's a tactic. And if that tactic isn't supporting some overall strategy, then it's useless. There's a lot of people who are well-intentioned that are doing things that are never going to work or are having the opposite effect, but they mean well, and they're good people. And it's hard for you to go, look, man, I, I understand that you're working really hard at this, but that's not going to do anything. And we shouldn't waste our time doing it. Here's where we need to direct our resources towards. And, and it's if tough. you take a look at the highest functioning NFL, NHL, NBA teams, if they ran the city like they ran those teams, you'd have a success story. But with everybody pulling in a different direction and everybody fighting about it and some people not willing to be all in because, look, the last guy that was all in, he's looking for a job. What we have to do is we have to take a step back. We have to let calm heads prevail and we have to come up with a long-term strategy because if you went to a doctor that was only fixing your symptoms, yeah. that's like chasing a shot group on the range. You fire a bullet and you go, oh, it was a little high. Fire one more and they fire again and they go, no, it's too low. Go up again. You're never going to get where you need to be. You have to have a cogent long-term strategy. And guess what? You have to understand that short-term there's going to be some failures and there's going to be some waste of money and excess and people are going to be angry. But again, like the stock market over time, it evens out, it levels out. And what's best, look, good plans stick around. This too is going to pass. It's pendulous. It's going to pass and it's going to get better. It just takes time. What's your all's plans for the future? I'm going to bed as soon as this broadcast is done. <laughs> No, you mean like short term, Rena? Do you mean like today? No, I mean no, like I, what's the dream? So the ultimate dream would be that we can continue to travel and teach and yeah. never have to charge a penny for it. Our courses cost decimal dust, but the problem is it's an investment in time. It's hard. It's yeah. hard work. It, it's like losing weight. You got to go to the gym. You, you, you can't say, oh, I'm going to drink a diet soda, but eat four hamburgers. And they go, why am I 500 pounds? Right? So you have to put in the work. And the problem is we have to charge for our time. We have to travel. We have to you know, get down in the trenches and, and do this laborious part task in, in practical application training. If we could get that angel investor that said, hey, you never have to worry about it. All your yeah. training is free. Because there's a we, lot of people who want it and can't yeah. afford it. We would do nothing but clear our slate and travel and, and teach. That would be the dream, right? Yes. Is you just don't ever have to worry about it. We get to someone, hey, we have a really tough problem. We think this this is a solution for it. And we come in and do it. And then we we'll see you go to the next one and see go to the next one and just grow that that community of people who can think and act and believe in what we do and see things for how they are and look to mitigate stuff. And that's their strategy rather than focusing on it. What the, the flashy object in front of them, we can do that. that that'd be, that would be the dream. Doctors you know? Without Borders, the iBank, all these places that we've seen that can yeah. do it. And I'll tell you what, some of the people that are in the position to make those differences are making differences in the world that aren't going to be around for a long time. They're building things. And my question to you is, do we need another thing or do we need to think with a K at the end?
And we need to change the way we think. We'll all be better off for it. So if we could find a way to do that, man, that would be my dream. I love that. And I love that you put Greg Williams loves this podcast at the bottom. I'm going to have to make a meme with that. (laughs) Just so you know, that's for you because we absolutely do. You know what? I knew back when we got introduced by Craig so long ago, it seems now, I knew we'd be fast friends. I absolutely knew that we were with the right band of characters and that we would all be able to go out once a week and talk about our week and have a ball. We would be friends forever. That's what I felt like then. It's reinforced today. Aw, that's so sweet. I actually thought of a couple people that I want to introduce you to as you were describing the dream. So there we go. That's great. Do that offline. Yeah. Okay. But remember my, my dreams are a lot about sleeping and eating. So the (laughs) the dream about world peace, that was third. So I want you to remember that Rena. list of priorities. I'm a broken human. Uh, Sleep and eating is very important to me at this age. I can relate to that. (laughs) I want you to know how honored we are to be on your podcast Yeah, because you reach an audience of people that we may never get to, but more importantly, all the good that you do. I like bouncing around on your podcast and it's an escapist fantasy to listen to you just unwrap people and you have just such a knack at it. So your, your dad and your kids must be proud of you. Oh my God, that is so sweet. I think you guys are doing an awesome job too. And thank you. Yeah. I I listened to like a couple episodes today and I was like, wow, this sounds super professional. I liked the music. You guys have a good like banter between you. I was really impressed. I was like, they totally don't need my help. Like, (laughs) no, we we appreciate it. You know, you know, you never know. And that's part of the reason why we do this. You never know who's going to listen. We get some of the most amazing emails and feedback, either from podcast episodes or from training courses where people are like, Hey, look, I was in a really bad place and I heard this and it changed my view. Or when we're doing the the stuff that's more kind of combat focused or or life or death stuff, we get phone calls, emails, and people like, you're not going to believe this, but I saw something in real time. And it brought me right back to your class. And we stopped, we were right there, what we were doing. And we set in and we realized we were about to walk into an ambush. And we didn't because we went through that training. What's and better than saving I'm a getting, life I'm today. getting literally like choked exactly. up just thinking about it. Cause you're just like, holy crap. We just saved someone's life. Like, I mean, that's, that's incredible. What's so better? like you get that. We, we've got the amazing. best job in the world. The yeah. best job in the world is when we get that feedback and you get it too. I've seen some of your reviews. And when you get somebody that writes that, that you made a difference, listen, if you can make a difference in a person's day or in this hour, I say, do it. I say it's worth it in the long run. I want to say thank you again for your service. And truthfully, Aww. yeah, every one of those messages, it's like therapy for me, right? You yeah. know, that's, that's yeah. why I'm doing it. Yep. Like, this lights me up connecting with guests like you. Yeah, we absolutely appreciate what you're doing. Tell everybody, introduce us to everybody. You never know when it's going to be uh, Rob Lowe coming in the basement on Wayne's World and, and taking uh, out of Aurora. Oh, you there we go. Sand. Great Chicago <laughs> reference right there. That was I a was deep fishing, one. Man. That I had to was. Go and then Makita's donuts. That's great. Exactly. Wow, look at that. The funniest part of that is my dad's name is Wayne. Oh, my Shut God. Up. There we go. Well, it's, well, you grew up in Wayne's World then. So. I totally grew up in Wayne's World. <laughs> She's still Different in it. She's yeah. still, still in, in Wayne's yeah, World. I was just saying, is, so I see him in the background right there. So well, we, we Wayne love the brain. Being, we love being on the show. Please, That's uh, great. Please help us help you. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This was a very interesting interview. You're interviewing really a team, seemed to be also very down to earth, but also 
where they're telling you that if you're giving advice and you're trying to help people, especially people that are veterans that have seen tremendous highs and lows in their lives, you've got to really make sure you say the right things or give the right advice because you could be affecting someone or pushing them over the line. And they're using that practicality to apply to all people around you. So the fact is, is that even though sometimes we can get mad at somebody or we can listen to the sensationalism of the news where they're always looking at the bad side of things, where even our country they bring up has been attacked, where our national anthem has been attacked, like all of a sudden the country's forefathers are, have where the history of the nation is terrible. And yet these guys have been all around the world and they have fought battles being around police, being around uh, veterans, being around fighting and the wars themselves. You're talking about they've seen how people live all around the world. And when you talk about even poverty in this country compared to poverty in the world, there's no second choice here. This is still the greatest country in the world. And our freedoms and our expressions that we can do here, you do that in some other countries and you have your tongues ripped out or you have your genitals destroyed. It's very interesting that one of the reasons why we stayed in Afghanistan where this was brought up in the subject, is that, yes, our intentions was to get bin Laden. And the fact is, is that by the time we figured it out, he wasn't even in Afghanistan for years. We missed our chance in Afghanistan. He ended up being right by the armed forces in, in uh, Pakistan, where you had a special forces go in and kill him 10 years later. And to be able to change a culture or to change a people or to change a whole other country, truth of the matter is, is that it can't really be done unless the people in that country and the majority of the people in that country want to help and do it for themselves. You're talking about we were there for 20 years, and obviously, I don't like the exit that we had. It was done not very professionally at all. But the sad part is, is that we were in Afghanistan for 20 years, and whenever we were going to pull out, it was going to go right back just like uh, the waves in the ocean that go back and forth was going to go right back to the equilibrium that was before. And there wasn't anything that we really could do about it. And the resources that we wasted and the lives that were sacrificed, it's really disheartening that the greatest country on earth spending the most any war couldn't really make a difference long term in Afghanistan. I knew you would like the response to that. Oh, yeah. But look how they also brought up Governor Cuomo where there you still have politicians. That's why term limits are so important, is that sometimes people in very powerful positions, and also that where they surround themselves with just yes men or yes women, feel like, like they're some type of God, where they can do anything, stretch the line, be all about themselves, where their truths are no longer truths. It's where they've gone to la-la land and made their own reality and put themselves in charge where anything they say or do is okay. That's why it's always good to have people around you that will tell you the truth. But the way he put up denying everything and not taking accountability, which is what most people do, the irony is that even a person in a powerful, powerful position does the same thing, putting his tail between his legs and deny, 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 and not accept what reality really is. And a lot of people 
again, only are thinking of their own self-interest and they don't really think of other people or other people's feelings. And that's why they're in that position in the first place. How many people do not really take into account the feelings of others? They only think about what they're going to gain out of it first. And that's really pretty sad because that type of fundamentals means that humanity is still at a very low level, if that's the way we think. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 